there's another way to get at information that is revelatory, where you can really learn a lot about the person, which is, tell me an instance when an initiative you were working on didn't go as planned. What happened? Why didn't it turn out the way you expected to? And how did you respond? So what I like is through action, through a real example, and they're talking about it, I as an interviewer, if I'm really listening and hearing, I'll be able to discern how they go, how they went about something or what their strengths were in that particular process or what their areas of, of weaknesses are. And we all have them. That, that's the thing that they're missing. We all have areas of development and weaknesses. Us as leaders need to build teams where we complement each other's sort of strengths and weaknesses. But I think you can get at the information by putting them in a real life situation. This is Pete Moore here on Halo Talks NYC at the Halo Academy. We're going to talk with Matt Spielman again, and this topic is going to be about hiring, job descriptions, and the interview questions associated with uh, candidates. So, Matt, welcome back to the talks. It's great to be here. So, tell us what you know about hiring people and uh, and how you define what they're uh, what they're going to do for you, and and why is that something that uh, that happens after you already have someone in the job already? <laughs> well. You raise a really good point, and which you know, why does it happen after you know, and and why not actually when you're there? So, I have had the experience in looking at thousands of resumes, and I've hired hundreds, potentially thousands of people in my career. And yes, what you're talking about is you know, when when we're looking for a VP of Sales or a CEO or a COO, which we have up in the Halo Academy, is these really vital documents to to help our partners. There is a step that precedes that, which is, I know just anecdotally, when I joined as a senior executive at various firms and I had a team, one of the first things I did when I sat with my team members was I had them write their own job descriptions. So we made sure that we were on literally the same page in terms of what they thought they were to do on a daily basis, what they were working towards, what success looked like. And if we gained agreement early on in my tenure then we generally had a pretty good relationship going forward in terms of working relationship and work relationship and work output. And there was, you know, highly efficient and ultimately highly effective. So this process can almost start even before we begin to say, hey, we need to hire a CEO. Well, wait, let me step back a little bit. Do I have job descriptions for my current employees and are they working on what I think they should be working on? So you you raise a really good point. Yeah, we just did that with with a company and it was... um you know, sometimes it's eye-opening from a standpoint of um, what you thought that person did and then when they actually write down all the bullet points of what they are responsible for. Um, obviously, it's a delicate uh, discussion when you ask for someone's uh, job description because they make it, they might think that you're going to use it for purposes of having someone else do their job, but I think it's a, an exercise where you approach it as you said, where we want to make sure everyone's doing what's in the best interest of the team and that what they're responsible for. And if you approach it like that, it's, it's not adversarial or concerning to anyone. You're, you're absolutely right. So if, if, if we do jump in though, and you know, we do have the job descriptions, I, I think it's absolutely important and vital where I, I don't know how many job descriptions you've seen, but I've seen so many generic job descriptions that actually don't speak to the specific tasks of the job. And it really needs, you know, the 
what the person's really thinking in the while he or she is reading the job description, it may not be overtly stated or in this language, and I'm not necessarily advocating that it is in the job description, but what am I going to get paid to do? And if you sort of think of it in terms of that, you're going to err on being more specific about what does great look like? Well, what does the expectations look like for the job? And um, we are looking for a candidate to do this because we're going to pay him or her to do this. And I, I see a lot of generic, not much specific. So during our discussion right now, we're not necessarily going to speak about, you know, CEO or COO, but uh, or VP of sales or chief revenue officer. Those can all be found in our Halo Academy portal. What I will say is every document that you send out from your company should be reflective of your brand, your voice, your tone, your tenor, the DNA of the organization. Um, even if it doesn't work out with that candidate, he or she doesn't get the job, et cetera, they know what you stand for, they know what you're about. It's an extension that's a reflection of you. And I think that is really important. And oftentimes I've read a lot of job descriptions where that is missed. It, it could read the same job description for company X can be used for company Y and that should net definitely not be the case. So you're basically saying don't, don't use a template, but it's really a job description has got to be in your voice. It's got to be on brand and that subliminally uh, or overtly might be, you know, gravitate the right people towards your company, almost like uh, like a JetBlue. You know, when you go on JetBlue, there, there's a certain level of you know, slapstick comedy that you Absolutely. feel that you don't get on United, you know, right. so that that resonates with people and it, it probably wants them. We'll get them to come uh, towards you and maybe they calibrate uh, what their salary or compensation is with the culture that they're trying to be a part of. Most definitely. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, and we're spending this time on these particular topics, Pete, because, you know, I'll ask you a question. Is there anything more important in hiring the right person in the right role at the right time for the right position at the right salary with the right training, with the right background, with the right motivation? Well, I mean, if you if you take a look at the proliferation of fantasy football, hmm. and you said, okay, I've got a salary cap and I know what I want to achieve and i got to pick the best players. And my nephew picks players at 1257. Yeah, before the one o'clock cutoff. And if you do that for your company, you're probably not going to win. Yeah. So really the amount of time that you should allocate, and I've learned some of this from you, to actually think through what are the interview questions, what's the right person for this, and be willing to move your company forward with a vacancy mm -hmm. because you haven't found the right person. I feel like sometimes there's a sense of urgency like, oh, we've got to find this COO in the next 30 or 60 days. And that's how you make bad decisions. Most definitely. So moving right to how do we assess the candidate in, in an interview? Well, let me start by saying what I don't ask. Now, there are certainly those questions, and, and everybody should write this down, and everybody should have this, and if this is in our Halo Academy portal. But you know, the age, race, ethnicity, color, gender, sex, country of national origin, religion, disability, marital or family status or pregnancy, those, I, I think we know, but we, it's worth it to, we'll have a document, well, we have a document, and I just shared with the audience that these are the things that cannot be asked, mm -hmm. and, and they don't need to be asked, but that's just, let's just start right there. But also, you know, more from a style approach, I'll tell you what I don't ask. I, I don't ask, I think the worst question 
that I've been asked a number of times and I've, I've heard it and I've seen it and it makes me cringe, which is, so Jane, why don't you walk me through your resume? You, you know what that says? That says that I haven't read your resume. Right. Can you please do your work for me? And in a 30 to 35 minute interview where you're going to ask me, or maybe it's an hour, but you're going to ask me 10 or 15 minutes of questions at the end, which by the way, is something that I look for as well. The types of questions that the interviewee will ask, we really don't have that much time. So I need to ask pointed questions. And I find that that sheds light on the preparedness of the interviewer. So that's something I don't ask. The other thing I don't ask is the question that, that we hear is, why don't you tell me about a weakness that you have? There seems to be a very human response to that or where they don't really answer the question because they don't want to come across as if they really did something or, or they, they don't have what it takes to get the job. They'll generally flip it and pivot and turn it into something along the lines of, my, my friends tell me that I work too hard. Right. You know, Such which a is, weakness. Right. It, and too much attention to detail. To, to, or I, I really, I solely focus on my work and sometimes I, you know, I, I, I don't nurture those, those friendship, those friends and, and those relationships that I have. Matt, what, you're hired. <laughs> exactly. What you're basically saying is I'm giving this everything I have. You're not really answering the question. Sure. Well, right? do you turn that around and say, um, obviously we haven't prepped for this, which is the point of the podcast. Sure. But do you, do you say, um, what would your friends say about you? What would your employee, what, what yeah. would other people in your firm yeah. say about you? And that kind of ferrets it out or not really? So n not really, because again, no. again, they could, the, the person that I'm interviewing could use that information to say, you know, basically the same exact thing. There's another way to get at information that is revelatory where you can really learn a lot about the person, which is, Tell me an instance when an initiative you were working on didn't go as planned. What happened? Why didn't it turn out the way you expected to? And how did you respond? So what Great I point. like is through action, through a real example, and they're talking about it, I as an interviewer, if I'm really listening and hearing, I'll be able to discern how they go, how they went about something or what their strengths were in that particular process or what their areas of, of weaknesses are. And we all have them. That, that's the thing that they're missing. We all have areas of development and weaknesses. Us as leaders need to build teams where we complement each other's sort of strengths and weaknesses. That's why it's such an important question, but nobody really answers it honestly. So I'd rather, and, and understandably so, I'm not actually you know pointing fingers at anybody. I do understand why, but I think you can get at the information by putting them in a real life situation. Got it. So from a standpoint of, of the different jobs that you've hired people for, there's a, there's a skill set. Yeah. And there's also a, a personality. So if I'm hiring someone for a sales job versus a, mm -hmm. you know, back end accounting job, you know, obviously you got a, a separate list of questions. How do you kind of calibrate? Okay. This person is going to fit in, you know, kind of within those parameters. So going in, and if, if in theory, if I'm an astute and competent manager and leader, I have a pretty good understanding of what has worked, either in my company or some best practices outside the company. What are those key criteria for a front desk person? I and mean, you, you picked up on it. So somebody who's congenial and affable can handle a phone ringing as well as talking to somebody who's walking in the door or 
being being proactive and seeing that we don't have towels over there, so I'm going to go fill towels. It may not be in the job description, but that's just what I'm going to do. So I'm going to assess for that particular role a little bit differently than if it's my VP of finance. And we'll probably do something where we'll focus on really attention to detail. And I might even look at, hey, can you talk to me about an approach in terms of building you know, a financial model? And how might we project for where we sit now, 2018, in terms of our expenditures and, and something like that? So yes, we, we would ask different questions based upon the particular role, generally predicated on what we've seen has, has and the characteristics have worked in the past. Great. So there, there are a couple of sort of do's and don'ts, I think, which is one of the things that I'm really looking for in an interview is why does the person want the job and why does the person want to work at my company? Okay. Notice I focused on the why. And because for me, the why speaks to self-awareness and internal exploration and also talking to people externally about, you know, in preparation for interviewing at my company of, do you think this is a good fit for me? What types of people work there? Where is the company going? You know, all, all of that. It shows me that they have really thought about why they want to work in that particular role because it suits them, their natural preferences, their predilections. They know what jobs they've thrived in in the past. There's that self-awareness piece. Mm -hmm. And they've done the requisite homework to know that beyond the Google searches and the press releases and the deals that have been done and the people who work there in terms of the, the faces on the website, that's easy. That's table stakes. That, that everybody should know. I want to know that they have done their due diligence as much as possible of why articulating why they would thrive in that company. In, in my company, if I'm interviewing them. And then from a standpoint of um, you as the interviewer, um, just to, as a preparatory measure, do you, or do you recommend to people to go and, you know, Google that person's name, see what comes up, check their Facebook, check their LinkedIn, what kind of social media screen would you do or have somebody else do on your behalf yeah. and say, Hey, look, is there any crazy stuff up there that this person's obviously yeah. somewhat grossly negligent about what they have out there. And they're obviously, if I hire them, they're representing my brand. Yeah. It's a really good point. And I would think that that would be part of the screening process. So I think every resume that comes in with a cover letter and potentially, you know, these days people can get very creative or they send in videos or projects that they've worked on. And, and I'm, I'm really all for that actually. Uh, before they get invited for an interview, there would be absolutely be that initial sort of pre-screen and on the resume or in that person's dossier, there's either, you know, hey, you may want to ask about this that shows up on their various, you know, LinkedIn or Facebook or wherever there it's it's public. And that person should know that all of that is is public information. Either information you want to inquire about. Uh, you know, to the positive or potentially to the negative. So I, I think that's absolutely a step, but that's generally, a, I'm not sure that should be something that I as the interviewer or, you know, am preparing for. I, I think the initial screener should do that. Gotcha. Okay, great. So, so once you get through that, uh, through being thoughtful about the job description, 
uh, being thoughtful about the people that have the, the, the type of person that you think would thrive in that and the right questions to ask. Talk about the choice of references, you know, how that process goes, how, what you ask of the references. Yeah. Um, I think most of the people on here will be listening to this, will be at executive positions and, and really trying to hire an all-star team because they know that the, the people in the services sector of the Halos business is, is all about the people. Yeah. So, what, and obviously you got to be cognizant of the time you take for a reference check, which could be a CEO of a Fortune 100 company. Which, uh, which as you know, I, I conducted one the other night of a CEO of one of the largest companies in the world. And he was in JFK airport about to board and I had 15 minutes with him. So I, I'll, I'll share with you the questions that I asked him and, and your audience as well. I do want to talk about something first, just the part of the interview process where I think there's a benefit to both the candidate as well as the interviewing company. Um, again, these are very expensive decisions, both for the company who are, who's bringing on a new individual, and that could be a front desk employee or a C-level executive, and for that employee or prospective employee, he or she is making a decision about the career. Sure. Where am I going to spend? They're going to spend more time at your company or my company or the company than they will with their friends, with their potential spouse, with really anything else that they're doing. So one thing that I've seen work when it allows for it is something that I call a mini internship. And there are companies that will give a project. Hey, can you draft a marketing plan for you know, 2018? And you can hand it in uh, in a week from now. That person goes home, they spend time at home, they Google a bunch of things, they might even ask their friends and it's a really polished document. And yeah, they may even come in and present it. But up until that point, and even through that point, their whole experience with your company and your experience with them is in some conference room off of the floor, in quotes, and everybody's putting on their best self representation of, of who they are. And it's, it's a fine process, but it's not the optimal process. With this mini internship, why can't that project, and it could be, you know, a meaty yet benign, so not one where you're releasing, you know. How much eight, time are you talking about? Uh, I'm talking about six hours in total, two stints, three hours on site each time. Okay. When I say on site, out of the conference room, on the floor, maybe even working on that marketing plan. So let's say it's a VP of marketing role, and they have to interact with other employees say, hey, what types of inputs should I have here? And actually, I don't even want to feed the questions because that person who's creating the project should come up with what types of questions to ask and then populate how that person would go about creating a marketing plan for 2018. Gotcha. But they're doing it in the wild. The company is able to observe that person in the wild. And by the way, the candidate is able to observe that company in a very different way than reading a mission statement or a vision statement or a 10K or a 10Q, they are observing the company in the wild. There's a very big difference between looking at a tiger in a zoo or going on safari and looking at tigers. Yeah. I, I think it's, you know, maybe it's as you get older, but um, <clears throat> how quickly do you think it takes you to diagnose, I f you know, this is a good work environment for me or these aren't, the, you know, this isn't a good fit. I feel like it, it's pretty quick when you, when you really I, know so, and for yourself as, a, as making a job. Yeah, and, and I think that's why you asked me how I wasn't, you know, it's not a hundred hours. It, when I say mini internship, people can say, well, we're not going to allocate a month to that. Right. I'm talking 
really so they can try on the clothes of the company. Where to your point, three hours one time, and then on a different. It's actually there, there's importance to having a different day. Three hours on a different day, collect the information, and then present to that team from whom they collected the information from in the real environment. And I can't. You probably heard from a lot of people who started a position and a month or two into it, they said, "Oh my God, I can't believe I what, what I got myself into." Right. Well, what you're doing for the benefit for the benefit of the employee and for the benefit of the company is that much more in a data-driven world where people are making informed decisions. Why not add this component to the hiring process? It's benefiting every party involved, and I believe the current hiring process, which has been done for so many years, is failing everybody involved. So it's not possible for every single job opportunity, but wherever people can observe the other folks in the wild, each party can then, we go back to the why, can articulate in an interview why I want to work here, why I want to work on that team, why I want to work with Jim, Joe, and Jane. And the company can also sit around a table and say, we should really hire this person because in a much more informed fashion. Otherwise, we're, we're just kind of guessing. You know, this is not Zappos here where we order multiple pairs of sneakers, we try one on, and within 365 days, we can sort of send them back. We can't just sort of try on a job, walk in the door, and then if it's not working in two or three weeks, we just sort of say, you know what? We're done here. This is a transactionless, you know, or this is a frictionless transaction, and I'm just going to walk away. These things are too expensive for all parties involved. Why not get as much as much information about them as possible? Yeah, I mean, one, one of the things that you're articulating here, which is interesting, is to basically say to a CEO of a company or COO or, or HR, whatever department is, look, I want you to spend a completely inordinate amount of time hiring, which, which intuitively, you know, it's, I got a job opening. I asked the right interview questions, give it a shot. You know what, if we have a 60% hit rate, you know, we got a 60% hit rate and we'll just replace that person. I don't think there's a full understanding of the cost of onboarding, the cost of offboarding, the attrition, the culture, you know, the the abuse that that the company takes when people are you know, turned into a, a revolving door. So you're really asking people to change the way they think about the investment in the interview process and the hiring. I think somebody worked at Birchbox and mm -hmm. and this woman who used to work at us colo here had to do a project. She had eight interviews. She had to present the project and you know it was like a three-month process but yeah she's probably going to stay at that job for a long time and, and and it's well worth it and you know i there are sort of three quick examples i'll toss out to your audience which we may resonate and hopefully they do how much time do we spend researching and then ultimately buying a car you know we spend a lot of time online we we read reviews we go on that we, we test drive we test drive a car and we probably spend more time buying or leasing a vehicle than we do in the process of whether you're a candidate interviewing for a position and ultimately making a decision on how you're going to, you know, the, your career trajectory, your job, your identity, all, all that stuff. Second one is buying a home. We may look at 36 homes or I, I'm talking to somebody, we, we looked at 50 homes. We may not look at 50, we may look at 12. We'll walk through the homes. We may even go back and see that home or that apartment that we're renting at different times during the day just to get a sense of, of the noise or the light or whatever it is. We spend more time in an apartment or home renting or buying than we do in the job process. 
think about relationships. More than 75% of people live together before they get married. Okay. They want to get line of sight into the other person. They don't, they don't go off site at a neutral place, do four interviews and then get married in most instances. Sometimes they do and it works, but what you want to do is mitigate the chances that it's not going to work, whether it's with a car, the home or apartment you rent or buy or your spouse or your job. And one can argue that the, the job that you secure of all four of those decisions is the most important. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, a couple of uh, CEOs that I talked to and, and they've got some entry level employees and they, uh, I said, you know, did you do a background check? I don't want to spend 200 bucks on a background check. It's like, okay, that person represents your brand, has access to your cash register, uh, is your first, uh, you know, line of, of, uh, attack with your, with your members and, and you're not gonna, you know, do the work. It's like, yeah. like you said, buying a house without doing an inspection. So, well, I, and I left that yeah. out. You're absolutely right. Yeah, so so. In, in, in closing, Pete, you know, all of, all of this information is in the Halo Academy portal. You know, not only the interview questions, but also the job descriptions, the questions that you, that you shouldn't ask, the questions that you should ask. And yes, they should be tailored to each of the positions, as you pointed out earlier. Let me quickly share with your audience in the last few minutes that we have, the last few seconds that we have remaining, the, when you're doing the reference checks. So that's kind of like the inspection to your point just before. Mm -hmm. So mine tend to be kind of quick and to the point, and it, I basically want to get the context. So the first one is, what, do you, what is your relationship to the candidate? So I want to understand how he or she interacted with the candidate. The second one is, what are the candidate's three strongest qualities? And I, I might even say, what are the candidate's strongest qualities? Sometimes they'll say one, sometimes they'll say five, and I don't want to restrict them. But three helps you know, provide a boundary so they don't feel the need to ask for six. And then the flip side is, this is what I, what I don't ask an interviewer, but I will ask a reference because they are more willing to share this information in the proper way, which is what are the, some, some of the candidate's weaknesses? Got it. And then uh, do you think the candidate is qualified for this job? Why or why not? And the, the why part is, is important once again. And then I ask a very open-ended question, which is anything else that we should know. And that's where some of the most important information sometimes comes out because they, there's something that they really want to share about the candidate, whether it's sort of positive or to the negative, and I want to give them that opportunity. It typically, that, what I just asked, typically takes between 10 to 20 minutes, depending upon the length of the answers. And I would say, as part of that, and I've, I've done a number of reference checks over the years, people are concerned about their reputation. Absolutely. And they will typically tell you straight up, you know what? This guy's got a couple issues. This woman has a couple issues, or I, I had a bad experience, or watch out for something. So, don't cut corners and not do the reference checks, and assume that someone gives you those reference names and that they must be good yeah. references because they gave it to them. So, so do the work, Matt. Thanks for guideline and outline on how to do this correctly, and uh, look forward to implementing this. Thanks. You're very welcome, Pete. Thanks. <laughs>